you're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malik, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malik, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. I'm John Malik, your host. I'm a recovering chef and presently a restaurant coach, and I help make restaurants successful. Well, when the Anchorage opened, Amy and I were lucky enough to receive an invitation for one of their soft opening evenings, and we loved everything that we saw, everything that we tasted, and since then we've been back maybe a half dozen times. You know, so many of us don't have an understanding of how risky the restaurant business is, especially something like the Anchorage. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. And if you want to play it safe in the restaurant business, then wings, burgers, and cheap beer are the way to go. A personal statement, such as the Anchorage, is a huge gamble. And Greg and Beth have done an admirable job. If you haven't been, I would suggest a tasting menu. Because as Tony Bourdain once said, dining out especially in a chef-driven restaurant, is all about submission. Submit yourself to the skills, talent, and whimsy of the chef and the harvest of the season and let them supply you with a memorable meal. Of course, there are several restaurants here in town that we enjoy immensely and the Anchorage's combination of setting, service, execution, and commitment make for probably the most memorable meal in town. Recently, I welcomed owners Beth and Greg out to the farm, and after Beth got to hold some baby chickens and Greg uh, got to pet our goats, we sat down in the studio. So welcome to the Tin Roof Farm studio, Greg and Beth McPhee of The Anchorage. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you. (laughs) A lot of us would like to know, how did the two of you all meet? Uh, we met right after I moved back from New York City in the summer of 2011. Uh, one of my best friends from college was actually a line cook at Husk when Greg was the sous chef there, and we met at a dinner party randomly at his house. Yeah, yeah it was kind of funny, actually. Uh, we were we were so busy at the time in Charleston right after we'd opened that somehow I landed to have Fridays and Saturdays off. Uh, what? Because... You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, all the all the weekdays were busy enough to where right. there wasn't any particular high point. So we would okay. just prep all week. Um, and then a few of us um, got the weekends off. So we started just throwing these little potluck dinners. Mm-hmm. And BJ, who now is in D.C., a good friend of hers from college, uh, would host at his house with a couple other chefs. Mm-hmm. And we'd just always, you know, roast a whole goose or mm-hmm. dig a pit in the backyard and throw a pig in it and... Yeah. And just sort of go from there. Yeah. Chef, chef parties. Yep. <laughs> Remember them well. No alcohol yeah. involved. No. <laughs> yeah, none. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so that's neat. So you were you were uh, working in Charleston. Where did you, mind if I ask, where did you live at the time? What part of town? I lived uh, right off of Ashley Avenue by the Citadel Football Stadium. So right on Sumter Street. Oh, there. okay. Yeah. So, um, cool part of town? 
Yeah, yeah, just up from the Ashley Oak. Every time we go and visit now, I, you know, you got Daps down the street and a couple different options mm-hmm. and Renzo and yeah. I wish there was as much up north of the Crosstown when I lived there, but it was nice. I'd be able to ride my bike to work every day because uh, otherwise you get stuck behind the horse-drawn carriages and trolleys and all that stuff. So yeah, um, yeah no, it was it was good. Pricey as Charleston tends to be, sure, but, yeah, but definitely a good good point. Uh, and I think you know, Charleston's definitely special to, to you, Beth. Yeah, I went to college of Charleston. Uh, my mother grew up in West Ashley. I spent every summer in Charleston as a kid. So when I got a little burnt out of New York City living, I'm, that was oh, yeah. the uh, the obvious place to move back to. So I've always yeah. loved Charleston. Yeah. We lived there um, six years. And my last job in Charleston, I was exec sue at the Mills House. Mm-hmm. And I had a little Nissan pickup truck and a mountain bike and... And some days I would put the bike in the back of the truck, drive to your neighborhood because you could park free. Yep. And then pedal on off to work. Yep. And uh, I could bring my bike right into the back door of the Mills house, and it was uh, it was very handy. <laughs> yep. Didn't need the gym membership for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I'm curious now: Have the two of y'all ever worked prior to the Anchorage? Have the two of y'all ever worked together? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's been a learning experience, to, to say the least, but it's been a good one. You want to tell them the, the only other restaurant you've ever worked in? Oh, <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, I worked at a place in my hometown of Smyrna, Georgia, called Uncle Bud's Catfish for about oh, three no, well. days as a server. <laughs> I was 16. It did not go well. I think I got fired on my third shift. I uh, realized at that point that restaurants were probably not for me and went into the retail marketing world. Uh, until we opened this place, so yeah, that was my only other restaurant experience. So the first time you you saw Greg, how come you didn't run the opposite direction then? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, my um, my best friend from college is married to a chef, and okay. when we were all in New York together, he was um, one of the line cooks at Cafe Balloud, and so oh, sure. a yeah. lot of our friends were chefs. I was very immersed in that world, understood the hours and the lifestyle that comes with it, um, uh-huh. and then. My friend BJ went to the CIA when we were also living in New York, nice. which is how I yeah. met Greg. So kind of knew what I was getting myself into okay. a little All bit. Right. All right. So my wife and I, we owned a restaurant together, worked together for, well, twice actually. Uh, once for about three years, then again uh, here in town for about eight years. And so um, the only way for a husband and wife and hospitality to keep a strong marriage is, is working together. Would you agree with that or no? I, I think there's challenges yes. in either directions. I could I could understand okay. if if one party were not involved with the business, you yeah. probably wouldn't understand hard. everything that goes into right. it. Yeah. But I think Jason Schultz has a good uh, yes. good sort of saying. He's like, when you get sick and tired of one another, just open another restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you each take one. Yeah. So that who knows? Maybe that's the plan. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. <laughs> that's great. So you came to Greenville, then, Greg, you came to Greenville for... I moved up. I It was uh, really end of 2012. Okay. Um, Husk had been open for just over two years. Um, we were discussing sort of uh, the possibility in the Nashville location. Um, and I think just a number of us, it was a pretty pretty intense ride opening that restaurant in the first place. And I think... In Nashville. Or in Charleston. Charleston. So okay. the idea of going and, and opening another husk and doing that same two-year process seemed a little daunting i think at that point i think everybody in hospitality goes through waves where it's you kind of get a little bit lagged and a little bit uh sort of malaised by just sort of the day-to-day grind um and so we started looking at some different options 
we'd gotten really great press at Husk, so I, I had quite a few opportunities, and mm-hmm. it was kind of our pick of where we wanted to go. Uh, so we looked at Atlanta, we looked at Asheville, we looked at going back to New York, yeah. but we had a, a German short hair pointer that would never tolerate apartment <laughs> life. No. <laughs> um, so we were actually on our way back from an interview in Asheville, and my dad lives here, so we decided we were going to stop in and see him. And I think kind of classic Asheville tale, somebody had tried to sell you a pet rock and some soap yeah. and Got you know, you. a handmade guitar. Yeah. And, um, a guy in a hemp dress chased me down the street trying to sell me a, a rock. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can... I love Asheville and it, I enjoy visiting They have good rocks in Asheville now. They do have some really good rocks. <laughs> but I think, I think Greenville struck the balance that we were yes. looking for. It was right. you know, yeah. the livability after... You know, Charleston's certainly not New York, but yeah. I'd say it's fairly comparable now in terms of cost of living and, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, the challenges you've got to overcome if you're on the peninsula. Um, so the idea of getting up here and being close to the mountains, but still close to our friends and close mm-hmm. to your family mm-hmm. uh, was really kind of what drew mm-hmm. us this way. Went ahead and basically put my name out with a recruiter and about, what, four hours later, yeah, I got a phone call about a job at um, High Cotton in downtown Greenville. Okay. Which wasn't the best career move, but um, it got us up here. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was definitely, I think, it, had I not taken that job, I would have never opened my own restaurant. I would have never been able to sort of see the full spectrum of what operations really entail. So, yeah, that, that yeah. restaurant was a beast. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very large mm-hmm. business to run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, spent uh, almost a year there and then uh, decided that, again, I was at one of those points where I needed a little bit of a break and, um, saw that Hotel Domestique was opening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went ahead. I sort of We had a lot of mutual friends with the, uh, the chefs that were coming in from Blackberry Farm. So I went, went ahead and applied and just took a sous chef position to just kind of chill out and see what I wanted to do for, for a year. And then... Under Adam. Yep, under yep. Adam. Um, mm-hmm. Then eventually I was given the opportunity to sort of take over the property. Um, mm-hmm. Was there for, what, I guess three years total? Almost, yeah. And uh, then the opportunity kind of came up to, to open our own place. You know, it was heading, heading that restaurant sort of helped us make the right connections and uh, just having, having enough time to spend in Greenville and, and realize sort of the neighborhoods that we wanted to mm-hmm. sort of consider and who we wanted to target and yeah. spending way too much money and time at the community tap. Definitely. Helped <laughs> us, helped it definitely helped. And, <laughs> yeah. Ed Buffington was a very large factor in us meeting the right people to help get this restaurant off the ground so yeah yeah it's good i love that he's one of my one of my most favorite people in town yeah Mm -hmm. he's he's a great guy he and and mike they're all wonderful but ed i think we had the probably the closest relationship with and as soon as we had the opportunity to look at this building where we are now greg went to ed and it's like i need to meet some people do you know anybody who might want to invest in a restaurant and he put didn't, us, it didn't even take a week. Yeah. So yep. it was it was quick, which was reassuring. So yes. you know, the whole <laughs> and a little terrifying. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now your building is so iconic. Mm-hmm. Who gave you the idea or who decided, hey, let's take this this entire east facing wall and let's turn this into a billboard? Was well, that your idea, Beth's idea? Uh, no, you know, it was Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Johnson, who's uh, one of the owners of the building, um, who sort of was at the time and still could be considered the unofficial mayor, mayor. of West Greenville. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and his family uh, own community journals, and he's very involved with sort of the development over on that side. Mm-hmm. 
So um, actually, I was in a meeting about another development um, when Ryan Johnson kind of crashed the meeting. Uh, of course, it was on a Friday at the nosedive on Main Street at noon, which the whole sitting time I was sitting right. there trying to cover my face. Um, but he just, you know, at the end of the meeting, we were talking about a development that was probably about two years out. And he said, well, you know, this doesn't work out. Here's a sheet of paper. This is a blueprint for this, uh, this building I got over in the West End. You should come take a look at it. And they had it mocked up to be a, a craft beer bar, of course, because we're in Greenville and that's, sure, why not? that's everywhere. <laughs> um, and I took one look at it and just sort of from a logistics standpoint saw that for a restaurant it wasn't drawn up correctly, but it had the right sort of characteristics that we were looking for. Sure. You know, the, mm-hmm. the second story, I think, is is something that with that impression, with that square footage is hard to find. So, you know, you can't normally find a 2,500 square foot, two story building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of charm and the fact that it doesn't have so many layers of sheetrock and plaster on it when we actually got in there, well, you'd broken your legs. So yes. you didn't even see it till we'd already signed our lives <laughs> yes. away. Um, yeah. we walked in and he's like, all right, you watch a lot of HGTV, just picture anything <laughs> like any sort of and you're on crutches at the time i'm on crutches at the time so so you can't chase him then right? yeah exactly, exactly. yeah you hit him with one between but... the second story oh, if man. you took the wrong step you'd go th- right through the floor and then there were wasps nests that and... building was terrifying when yeah. we first got it but you had a vision for it pretty much immediately you mm-hmm. you walked in that door and he knew where yeah. he wanted the kitchen where he wanted the bar where he wanted the banquette and of course then... we had to i had to get them to do a land swap so that we could get the building that is now oh, the yeah. kitchen. That's right. Uh, because the square footage wasn't going to quite work. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was always convinced there's a certain size that you have to be in the restaurant business or else you're kind of breaking your back for nickels. And right. so we were very, very adamant about getting to that cover count. Sure. Um, and so we ended up having to get the landlord to swap some, uh, some mm-hmm. sort of land space in, in the village. And then we recombined three addresses and we, had to recondition every mortar joint and redo all like so much steel, so much. Yep. New, like, Jack up the floors and you rip the whole front wall of the building off. Yep. We realized that the, the front, the entire front of the building was just sitting on clay. Ouch. There, were, there were two steel beams that were dated, I think 1900, mm-hmm. um, wow. that yeah. were just literally sitting there. So uh-huh. we saw a little bit of uh, cracking up at the top. And then when they actually went to remove down, they realized uh, this, not only is it sitting on clay, but it's not really structurally attached to the rest of the building. So we should probably, <laughs> probably do something about I that. Think, I think we had about three or four engineers come in and we're like, just tear the whole thing down. Don't even, don't even waste your time. But I'm thrilled that, that we were able to make it work. Yeah. I'm curious, Greg, in order to, um, reach a certain level of, um, say, chefdom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have a mentor, somebody in your past that steered you in a particular direction. If you end up on a cruise ship or you end up chef of the Grand Hyatt in New York City or at a, at a huge hospital or a place like the Anchorage, it's because there was somebody in your past that... that you just connected with and and so I'm guessing that's for you pardon my assumption but is that Sean Brock uh I think that Sean honed the ideas that I had uh based on people earlier on in my career I I went to go work for Sean when I was 25 so that's not old by any means as a line cook but I think that you really kind of 
develop your initial character and your initial style probably in the in your early 20s if you're just sitting there grinding it out. So right when I got out of culinary school, I went to work at uh, the Cloister at Sea Island. Um, okay, yeah. And very much so, it was a Ritz-Carlton style culture. Sure. So, you know, clean-shaven, new haircut, uh, everybody wearing white aprons and you betcha. Yeah. organization. Um, was Crawford the chef there at the time? Crawford or? was at the Georgian Room. Um, I was nowhere near uh, ready to work at that level. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but I landed uh, for a greater length of time at the, the main dining room at the Cloister and then did a rotation at the Lodge with Johannes Klapdor. Um, but the main dining room, we had a chef, um, Dennis Teo, who was from Singapore, so very... Very strict guy, but I think initially that sort of laid the groundwork for setting yourself up to succeed. I think that the template that he worked with for the restaurant and the the way that he involved the cooks and the costing and, and really sort of empowered the people on the line, even though he was a yeller and he would throw things and he would break you down and build you back up in his own self-image like the old guys used to. Mm-hmm. Um it, it really kind of worked with me. So uh, while I didn't work for him for very long, that sort of set me in the right direction. Then I moved to Columbia uh, because basically the market fell out. And I was planning on moving out west to Denver. And uh, it was pretty hard to find uh, jobs and hotels at that point in time. I think everybody was scaling back. So uh, I had some friends that were still going to school or graduate school in Columbia. So uh, I went up there and, and met Tim Peters at uh, Motor Supply. Mm-hmm. And Tim had worked for Mike Lotta at Anson, oh, yeah. and yeah. he'd uh, worked for Frank Lee at Snob. Mm-hmm. He'd also lived in Burgundy, so those were sort of more of the formative years. I think uh, working for Tim, uh, there's a lot of similarities in motor supply and the Anchorage. Certainly, the style I think is a little bit different, but um, changing the menu perpetually, um, having tight quarters, and you know, just sort of having that level of service. Right. with a focus on the beverage program as well was something that we could sort of learned. So Tim opened the door to understanding the big picture, um, you know, the beverage programs, uh, actually managing people, um, getting your butt kicked on a small line where you're the only guy cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was there for about three years and, uh, that's where I learned not to overcook steak and how to break down pretty much every fish under the, under yeah. the sea. And, um, how to make it, you know, we had a rule and I think that this is still something that we impart in our cooks where it's, if it tastes good, if it looks good and if it makes money, let's put it on the menu. And that, that's sort of the core philosophy between that and then the discipline from the guys at the hotel system. Um, I went to work for Mike Davis at Terra for a little bit. Uh, and that gave me a, a little bit of uh, sort of insight into Cajun cuisine and, and sort mm-hmm. of the new Orleans style. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really, really great. I mean, Beth even will always say his boudin is some of the best. His boudin is so good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So as soon as I was pretty much done with that, I I moved to Charleston, uh, not initially to open Husk, actually. I wanted to go back and become a CPA. I tried to quit, as we all probably have in the the food business. (laughs) Uh, Then I realized very quickly, I don't think I could sit at a desk. And, you know, the university, the conventional university system is very foreign to me. Uh, after just sort of being in a kitchen for so long, I think uh, I couldn't filter myself at that point. I was sort of had caught the bug and, and right. needed to keep going right. with it. So um, initially I took the job at Hust to just sort of support myself while I was going to school. And 
I think I was supposed to work 25 hours my first week and I worked a hundred. So <laughs> you can't go to school and, and work a hundred hour week. Uh, you can, but you're not really going to yeah. be learning very much. Right. Uh, so I, uh, I decided that, uh, I would just sort of grind it out at Husk. Eventually I went back and did my finance degree, um, while I was the sous chef, which was also crazy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was just there for the first two and a half years and that, I think that period in time, it's like you had a foundation and a fundamental, uh, sort of understanding of cooking. Um, I think that, you know, in working with those guys, it was a hybrid of all of our different styles that really sort of brought that, that restaurant together. Mm -hmm. Thinking about sourcing only locally and thinking about putting vegetables forward, even though Sean's always associated with, uh, sort of the large core movement. Sure. Yeah. I think if yeah. you really were to sit them down and especially probably now, um, the appreciation for, for vegetables and what they bring to the plate is definitely something that I learned more so at Husk than anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Beth, since you have very little restaurant experience before this, <laughs> what has been your biggest challenge as, as a member of the team and as uh, the wife? Um, as a member of the team, it's just, it's been a huge learning experience and there have been so many moments that I've kind of learned where it's like, Oh, I've done this certain behavior that a guest is now doing, and I now understand why people in restaurants get frustrated with their guests, and I'll never do it again. But the the restaurant industry is just its own beast. It's so different than anything else. I, my background was in marketing and event planning, which has definitely helped me on busy nights where you just have to be aware of what's going on and making right. sure that you're one step ahead of any problem that could occur and making sure that you're thinking ahead of everything so that the guests are having the best experience. So in that regard, it's been pretty easy, but just the ins and outs of day-to-day -day restaurant life, and especially on the back end, which is more of what I'm handling now with just the finance and all the logistics and everything that goes into it, you never think about it until you're in it. You never think as a guest, well, can I sit at that table over there? Sounds like a very easy thing. Like, sure, why can't I just sit at that table? But to somebody running a restaurant, there's a system in there's place. Multiple and, reasons yeah, why. there's multiple <laughs> reasons why I didn't take you to that table and taking you to this one over here. And that to me has just been more of a learning process than anything yeah. else. It's just and even like the lingo and how they restaurant employees speak to each other and it's just it's it's been eye opening, to say the least. But yeah. um as the wife hmm, I don't know. I mean, we, we have our tips, of course, at work, but for the most part, I think we're pretty, pretty good. We have, we both have a very similar vision of what we wanted this restaurant to be and what we wanted it to look like and what we wanted the experience to be for the guest. I stay out of the kitchen. That is Greg's domain. That is his world. I have no opinion other than I enjoy eating the food. But um, other than that, I mean, we do, we have very, very different roles, but interact a lot. Well, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, there's to have that sort of full coverage where, I know that she's keeping an eye on the things that I don't have time to, because I think that's, and you probably agree as a restaurateur, you want to be everywhere all the time, but you can't, right. you know, for yeah. your own sanity. Um, so with the help of, uh, you know, the great employees that we found, uh, and having the both of us, it kind of gives us the ability to have that coverage. And then I think when we opened the restaurant too, we, we made a very, very clear point that we wanted to be closed. Mm -hmm for at least a day and a half, probably two days in a row so that people can have that real recovery period, um, versus, you know, certain restaurants where you're only closed for 
you know, a Sunday evening and then you're back to it for, for Monday or you're doing two services a, right. uh, a day. And now you need two separate crews. Yeah. You know. right. And you, you have, you get a disconnect at that point. You know, yeah. we have, we have 20 employees and that's hard enough to manage, even though we're only sort of serving for five, five hours a day. Mm. The idea of everybody kind of coming in and having the same experience and the same connection makes it a little bit easier. And then I think, mm-hmm. you know, throwing, throwing Beth into it, Helps on the home front because she understands exactly what's going on at work. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then we can both sort of brainstorm and tackle the, the issues as they come up and mm-hmm. come at it from two different perspectives. Yeah. That's cool. You know, when my wife and I had our restaurant, uh, my wife Amy's a pastry chef. And, boy, pastry chefs are fussy, you know. They <laughs> <laughs> I mean, heaven help me if she had anything sweet in the oven and I decided, well, I need to roast bones or I need to... <laughs> yeah, I stay out of the or, kitchen for that, I, that reason. <laughs> you know, if I, if I had some sort of aromatic dish in the oven and she had told me earlier, I need to bake these cookies or these sweets or something like that, you know, she didn't want darn stinky veal bones in the oven when she needed to bake <laughs> something that was flavored with vanilla or cinnamon or something like that. Because mm-hmm. then you'd have a, 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 a veal cake or a beef cake or whatever. That's uh, cool that now that y'all are at the point now where you can occasionally step back a little ways from the from the restaurant mm-hmm. and, and do some um, some fun stuff. I, you know, I think um, the Highlands Food and Wine Festival in, North, in Highlands, North Carolina is coming up soon, and I understand y'all are going to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely excited. Highlands is just, we've only been up a handful of times, mm-hmm. but it's just such a charming little town, and, and you know, just standing on Main Street at least in the fall too, for me, I don't ever really want to leave. I could sit on a bench and yep. just kind of watch the people going by and enjoy the little shops. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it really kind of takes you out of, not that we have big city living down here in Greenville, but, uh, <laughs> it really kind of lets time slow down a little bit. Yeah. So I think we're, we're really excited and we're mm-hmm. excited about the company that we have for, uh, the main event that we're doing on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, um, Food festivals are fun. You're just slinging food. You're actually getting to speak to the, the guests yep. mm-hmm. or potential guests. You know, really sort of convey your message instead of relying on a, sort of a service team. So it's a unique unique experience for us. And we plan on taking one of our younger cooks or maybe our pastry chef up that don't necessarily get that experience very often. So they can get a free, free night up in the mountains, get the spouse mm-hmm. out, and really sort of get that firsthand appreciation for what they're, they're putting out. How many events are y'all doing in Highlands? Just one, just the sort of the main events on Saturday. So we're we're a little little restaurant. I would imagine that's probably the about the the max of our bandwidth. We're doing about nine hundred uh, small plates for for that event. So yeah, coming out of a two hundred square foot kitchen, it's a lot. So remind us, when is the Highlands Food and Wine Festival? It is November 8th through the 11th, and we are participating in the main event on Saturday, November 10th at 12 p.m. Amy and I went last year when I was writing for the HuffPost. The main event is right in the city center, right downtown, open air, live music, and there'll be a multiple of guest chefs, uh, chefs from out of town, uh, and then some some local chefs participating. Mm-hmm. And we had a blast last mm-hmm. year. We had a great time. Are you all excited about this? We are. The pictures look like a lot of fun from yeah. what we've seen from the past. And uh, we got to meet one of the other chefs that's going to be participating uh, about two weeks ago. Yep. Yep. Joe from The Darling in Charleston is going to be up there. So we got to meet him. And yep. Anywhere there's live music and oysters, you can count me in. So. <laughs> I'm with you. Highlands, Highlands, North Carolina is such a neat town. If you ever get the chance... 
the inn, the old Edwards Inn. Mm-hmm. So when you're there, you have to take a take a little tour, get the nickel tour, and um, hopefully you'll meet Jack Austin. I'm sure you will. But the Highlands, um, excuse me, the old Edwards Inn in Highlands is just darn spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just such a gorgeous facility. And the inn, I think, has really re, um, been uh, played a key part in revitalizing that town. So I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing you all there. All right, before we say goodbye, remind us of your hours at the Anchorage. We are open Wednesday through, well, Wednesday and Thursday from 5 to 9.30, and then uh, Friday and Saturday from 5 to 10. And for Sunday, uh, we have brunch from 10 to 2.30. Okay. And how do we make reservations? Well, that's the tricky part. Uh, we don't we don't necessarily take reservations. Okay. Uh, it's first come, first serve, but we do have a, a widget on our website and sort of a waitlist application that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have a smartphone, you can just call the restaurant and they'll put you on. Uh, okay. But it really works out. I think once people understand how to use it, it's it's a better system than reservations. Because one of the reasons why we went with that style was in Charleston, if I ever got a day off, I knew about it maybe five days in advance. Never really had you know a two-week or month-out schedule. And every single place was booked. So unless you wanted to go to Fig and eat at the bar at 530, uh, you literally could not get in anywhere except for a bar. So our idea, while we're not Charleston, uh, was to protect the locals' ability to get in. You know, if we were ever to become busy enough, um, I didn't want a bunch of tourists coming in and and basically disenfranchising the local community and making them feel like they had to plan their lives so far in advance. So so long as you get on the wait list by Mm -hmm. about 7.30 at night, you will get into the restaurant. Oh, okay. Guaranteed. Yeah. Um, What happens is you either go on the website or give us a phone call. They shoot you a text message with an estimated wait time. Um, as soon as the table that you're going to be sitting at is pretty much on dessert, uh, we'll shoot you a text that says, hey, your table's ready, uh, with the expectation that you'll be there within about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And when you show up, um, table's ready, and go ahead and sit down. And what it does is it gives us a more perpetual experience in the in the back side. So I feel like our ticket times run a little bit faster and our servers are a little bit more comfortable because it's a more organic process versus... Just saying, hey, every 15 minutes, we're going to go ahead and seat X number of tables. Um, because what we found in Greenville is everybody wants to eat at 7.30. And <laughs> you might make a reservation for 7. You might make one for 7.15, 7.45, 8 o'clock, and everybody will show up at 7.30. So it kind of helps to ease that congestion for us. Right. Did you hear that, Greenville? Stop showing up at 7.30 for, <laughs> for your 8 o'clock reservation. <laughs> well, and then to make things even more confusing, we do offer large party reservations twice a night at 5.30 and 8.30. Uh, for groups larger than six, you can book online or you can email us for our tasting table. Okay. It's a five-course tasting menu. It's also family style. You get to try... 55 bucks. Oh, it's $55. Yes, thank you. But if you're listening to this podcast six months later... Don't be surprised if it's $60, okay? Or $65. I, I'd say As you're of October 2nd, yeah. it's $55 a, a, a person. But it's it's and a it, lot of fun. You get to try pretty much the entire menu. It is a ton of food, so come hungry. Um, and we can handle dietary issues or allergies, which we get that question a lot. And it is available for smaller parties. So you don't have to make a reservation. You can walk in and get the same tasting menu that you would with your reservation. The only benefit is if you have a large party... Mm-hmm. Again, going back to logistics, it's just so much easier for us to just say these are the two times so that we know to hold those tables for our bigger groups to make sure that they're not quoted outrageous times. 
Greg and Beth McPhee, thank you so much for joining us at the Tin Roof Farm radio show studio. Amy and I, of course, we, we love what you're doing over there. And the Anchorage, of course, has gotten much well-deserved publicity. And so that kind of notoriety has been great for the town, and it really elevates uh, the restaurant scene. When somebody starts getting that press, um, hopefully the younger chefs out there say, well, what are they doing? How are they attracting that press? And what are they doing that we are not doing? So it really elevates the game of all the restaurants, all the other restaurants in town that have aspirations above and beyond just doing their burgers and fries and whatnot. So mm-hmm. appreciate uh, appreciate everything y'all are doing. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming out to the studio. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to our guests, Greg and Beth McPhee from the Anchorage. And if you'd like to see some photographs from their visit to the farm, especially the photograph of Beth holding our baby chickens, uh, just go to our website, tinrooffarmradioshow.com, and search the Anchorage. Or you can find us on Facebook at Tin Roof Farm Radio Show. And you can also follow my wife on Instagram. She is Tin Roof Farm. And find me on Instagram at Chef John Malik. And that's me, Chef John Malik, restaurant coach, and I help make restaurants successful. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media, and our music is all gussied up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.